What's going on, guys? Really excited. We are about to start our RTP virtual summit. Uh, it'll be Monday, which, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, might be today. We're starting it off um, Monday through next Sunday, 18th through the 24th. Each day at 6 p.m. Central, we'll get started, except for Wednesday, uh, and we'll be at 4 p.m. Central uh, when we get started on Wednesday. Each day, we're going to have two different coaches. Uh, we're going to play their presentation, and you guys can live chat during that through um, through our website um, uh, through, via text uh, text chat uh, on our website. So uh, we're really excited about that. Again, that's free. You guys can sign up for that at any point. Um, get that and watch all 14 of those live for free. If you guys miss one or you want to re- review them, uh, you can pay for our all-access pass. It'll be $75 up until 6 p.m. on Monday, and then that goes to $90 through Sunday, and then that'll raise up to $105. But then again, for all of our premium members, it is only $50 at any point. So we're really excited to bring this to you guys. We're excited that we can do it for free live, and we've got 14 unbelievable coaches. We've already obviously watched the videos and and they're awesome and and we can't wait for you guys to see them so really excited for that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor just play whether you're a coach looking for a personal playbook tool or you're on a staff at a program looking to improve your team's preparation just play has a solution for you they have recently released a new product called my just play my just play is a personal playbook tool for coaches at all levels from Pop Warner, Pee Wee, all the way to the NFL. Create and organize your playbook with terminology, diagrams, video, and assignments, all starting at just $10 a month. Learn more at myjustplay.com. Again, that's myjustplay.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Sports Performance Tracking, or SPT. Sports Performance Tracking is a wearable GPS device that athletes can actually wear during football games. GPS analytics has been used at the pro level, but never filtered its way all the way down to college and high school until now. With GPS tracking, coaches can measure workload of a player to ensure that they aren't overworking or underworking. SPT is used by almost 25,000 athletes around the globe, from professional football clubs in Europe to high schools in Texas. SPT allows coaches to understand their players' fitness levels and compare to other players. One coach for the University of Louisiana Monroe said, there's no more hiding behind effort. Get the best out of your players and keep them injury-free with SPT. Go to sptgps.com for more information. This episode is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own program, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com, which is teambuilder.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Michael Williamson Jr. Coach Williamson is the former quarterbacks coach at Southern Illinois University and is currently headed back to coach high school ball in Texas. Listen as we talk with Coach Williamson about his football journey, the meat grinder of playing in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, and having to face the six-time FCS national champions and our favorite football team, North Dakota State Bison. 
You can follow Coach Williamson on Twitter at underscore coach underscore dub. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, hey, you guys do it the right way, man. I love the content, and obviously, you know, I've been obsessed with football since I was little and stuff like this, you know. It's something that us us big kids can, can dig into and, and use when we're working out or, you know, some people listen to it in the office. I know there's a hundred ways that you can listen to it now. It's on Spotify. You guys are really doing it the right way, man. Coach, I was going to ask you because, I mean, I know you, you were at Southern Illinois and I didn't know where you're at right now, but, you know, how, how prevalent is kind of run the power on the road? Because we do hear from a lot of college coaches and they say, you know, it's something we, we listen to when we're out kind of recruiting or on the road or even in the office. Definitely. Yeah, well, I think that, and you know, obviously, um, when I was at Southern Illinois, recruiting was so wrapped up in social media. And the fact that you guys have, you know, such a presence on social media makes it to where, um, I mean, obviously for me, as much time as we spend on our phones and spend on Twitter, you know, there's a, a big amount of what you do on social media is for recruiting and stuff like that. But, man, there's there's a lot of great people to follow on Twitter with football content. Like, I thought that, you know, I used to coach high school football down in Texas, and that's kind of what I'm moving back to Texas to do. And, you know, I remember being on, uh, you know, getting on the Internet and getting on some blogs and just being being kind of blown away with how easy it is for coaches to communicate with each other on the Internet and trade playbooks and trade film. And then now – you know, the, the fact that it's developed and exploded really on social media where you have so, so many, so many high level thinkers putting stuff out on the internet, you're able to learn, you're able to, to build your scheme, you're able to communicate with other coaches about how they do things. And then, you know, obviously run the power podcast, you know, I, I, I followed you guys for a long time before, um, before I really even considered, you know, sending you a message and, 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 and trying to, get more involved but it's yeah i haven't i haven't texted anybody who hadn't known about it you know i'm like hey you know the i mean it's always you're sending somebody a direct message like you know with content like hey this is a full player hey this is and i don't remember how i had it shared with me but i did find out on social media and when i told uh my best friend is a defensive coordinator down here and when i told him he's like man i love that podcast and you know a few coaches that i used to work with on the on uh on the staff up at siu they know about it and it's it's like you said, man, when you're out on the road, there's a lot of alone time and, and college and high school coaching. So you can't beat stuff like this to, to get in your ears and to, you know, constantly be building and learning. And, you know, it's become a whole new animal now that now that we got social media and obviously stuff like you guys are doing with the podcast. There's no doubt. I think that's the coolest part is, is just how much more now, whether it's, whether it's this podcast or other ones or even audio books, just with how much downtime everyone has, like you said, driving or working out, or you've got all this time where you could be learning something, but you can't necessarily be reading something where now all this audio, like I said, books or podcasts, you can still be learning. It's just kind of incredible how much more you can gain from some of that, uh, from being able to take some of your spare time where you're still doing something but can't read and but you're learning all through that time as well or sharpening your mind maybe maybe it's even something you disagree with and you're uh, you know I know I've done that I've disagreed with things I've listened to on podcasts and I'm uh, making my debate in my head as I'm driving down the road but it's still kind of sharpening my brain as I go 
No doubt. It's, and it's all about just being, you know, communicating. You know what I'm saying? And, and the, the fact of the matter is we always, everybody says it in coach and everything's stolen, you know, and everything's right. stolen because I think as a coach, when you come up in coaching, you're such a, everybody's really indoctrinated into the whole, it's not your idea. It was somebody else's idea. And, and n- nobody's afraid to share ideas anymore. And so getting more opportunities than to have blogs and to have podcasts. And if you're not spending time in your free time growing, and le- trying to learn something a little bit about what you, you, you don't know a lot about, then you ain't doing it the right way, I don't think, especially with like what we're saying. There's so many resources anymore to be able to, to get a hold of new information. And you guys, like I said, I really enjoy yours as a way to do that. Coach, give us a little bit of background as to kind of how you know you grew up. You said you grew up around the game and, and you've been in Texas and you've been at some colleges now. You know, just talk a little bit about kind of your history in the game and, and how much you love it. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate that. I actually, I grew up in Texas. Um, originally, I'm from Arlington, Texas. And um, I went to a high school called Lamar High School. And I played for one of the the winningest coaches in the history of Texas high school football. I, I lucked out. He took over at Lamar High School in 1970. Um, it was the first year that uh, that the school was built. And he stayed there until he retired. In, in the in the 2000, I believe it was 2010, 2011 maybe. And his name was Eddie Peach. He's since passed away. And his son still coaches down in that area. And, you know, all my moms, my mom, dad, aunts, uncles, everybody went to Lamar High School. So I kind of grew up from kindergarten on, like, with the whole, you know, I, I couldn't wait to get to high school, couldn't wait to play football, couldn't wait to play for Eddie Peach. So it made a tremendous impact on my life from the standpoint of I was obsessed with it. You know, I was totally the – wear the letter jacket around the hallway guy. And, you know, I wanted to turn that into playing at the college level. I ended up walking on at uh, Southeast Missouri State, and I got my first taste of the air raid offense. Um, we had an offensive coordinator named Rob Likens who, who ran the air raid, and I was, I was hooked, man. I had, you know, I was in there watching extra film. He had Wes Welker cut-ups and Texas Tech from Mike Leach, and I just, you know, I became a lab rat, and I made a bunch of notebooks, and that kind of carried on throughout my career, and then right when I was done coaching, it was, or right when I was done playing, there there wasn't a question I wanted to get into, I wanted to get into coaching, and so I ended up getting an opportunity to to do an internship at uh, the University of Missouri, and, you know, that was kind of through my I mean, it's a weird story, to be honest with you. I, I blew my knee out in college, and the, the Mizzou team doctor was the guy who ended up doing my surgery. And um, he, he basically told me, hey, if you want to get in on the staff here, you know, I can talk to some people. And before you know it, I'm, you know, I spent about 13 months kind of um, sitting behind, uh, you know, Josh Henson at the time. You know, when you're, a, you're an intern, you're a graduate intern, you're basically just a, a coffee guy, but, you know, you you have, you have, you get around and you get more responsibilities and you, and I did it on my own dime. So, you know, they, they really helped me grow from the standpoint of just letting me be a fly on the wall. And, you know, David, David Yost was the offense coordinator. He's now, you know, going, going from Utah state to Texas tech and Bruce Walker and Josh Henson were both O-line guys. And to be honest with you, that's the next part of, of my coaching career where I started growing. Cause like I said, I was just, a, I was a wide receiver and I wanted to run the air raid or I wanted to, that's all I cared about. I thought that was the end all be all. And sure enough, I spent, you know, 13 months sitting by sitting in the O-line meeting room and it'll, it'll change your perspective on um, football and it'll change your perspective on what, what it takes to be a good coach. Because I was just amazed with the 
amount of detail that went into how they coached that position and the hand placement and the steps and the where to get your helmet and the, the pass protection rules. And so I, I gleaned a lot from that experience. And then I actually tried to play football again, moved out to California where my wife's from. And that's when I got into basically my first um, high school coaching experience. I coached at Santiago High School for a guy um, named Jeff Steinberg, who, uh, who is Canadian. And so he, he ran kind of a spread offense with some elements. I mean, you know, if, if you've ever met with so, so somebody who knows a lot about Canadian football, you know, some of that stuff will blow your mind. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, those guys are wide open. They're passing the ball over the place. And he was, he was great as far as bringing a young kid on and giving me a lot of responsibility. I coached a lot of different positions for him. And, and then we ended up, you know, moving back to Texas. And I, I got my first uh, coordinator job down here at a small high school that was a 3A high school. And I moved on to a bigger high school, a 4A high school. And then I got the opportunity to be a graduate assistant. And I was kind of an older graduate assistant at Southern Illinois. Um, and then I guess to wrap the story up, when the, the head coach was there now, Nick Hill, when he got hired, he kept me on in an operations role. So I moved into kind of an off the field role, you know, kind of a operations personnel type deal. And then um, I finished off my tenure at SIU as the quarterbacks and specialist coach. So I've, I've done as much in the sport of football and, uh, you know, coaching in three different states and as many different levels as, as, as a lot of people. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of it. I think I've seen, I've seen it from pretty much any side that you can see it. And I still am obsessed with it and love it. And, I'm actually transitioning back home, getting closer to family and um, getting back into high school football, you know. And so right now I don't necessarily belong to any program yet, but I've been – it's been great. I've been able to come down. I've met with some great staffs and some great head coaches and have a few different opportunities. So we'll see how it turns out. But that's kind of my story as far as football goes. Talk, talk about, you know, being able to be around some, some good offensive line coaches. I know I've been around Coach Henson. He's been around the uh, – up at Broken Arrow a few times, they're, they're recruiting a kid we've got, but, um, you know, also our OC, Coach Wilkinson, knows him pretty well, and so I'll get to pick his brain and go to a few uh, clinics that he's put on, and, and you know, a, a really good offensive line coach there at, at Oklahoma State, and then we've yeah. got a really good one at OU Heck as yeah. well, and Tulsa, so some really good offensive line minds in the Oklahoma area, but, you know, Coach Henson had to have been a really good one to, um, you know, come up under or whatever, you know, your first year to be under somebody or to, to assist with somebody, uh, I would assume that was a, a really great learning experience for you uh, being under Coach Henson. 100%. And I can't tell you how, you know, I tell you that you can, you know who a, a person is, like, truly, uh, I think, by how they treat the people that they don't really have to treat well. You know sure. what I mean? And mm -hmm. pe people, uh, he, he treated me as good. Him, David Yost, Bruce Walker, all, you know, I still communicate with a lot of the GAs that I worked with. You know, I coached, obviously, in the Missouri Valley Conference, Atiba Bradley, um, uh, the Marcus Yokely, um, Dave Steckel is at, is at Missouri State, and they were good people, and they, they treated me good. And just, so I, I tell you the thing that really changed the way I looked about at football and what kind of, you know, we, everybody likes breaking down film, and, but you got to learn how to break down film. And if you never yes. played the offensive mm -hmm. line position before, I had no idea what I was looking at. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to – be able to sit in on the on the some of the staff meetings and stuff like that and one time you know they're sitting there and I'll never forget it they're watching they're watching uh they're breaking down uh we were, we were about to go up against uh, I think Nebraska 
And, you know, we were, it was against Adam Sue that year, who was just a, a free <laughs> show. And he had a great game against Mizzou that year. But, but I remember the reason I bring it up was, you know, he, he, he sees how the three techniques aligned or somebody in the staff meeting room did. And he actually had me go and break down um, all of the field pressure clips from the entire year and count how many times the three techniques right hand was down and how many times the three techniques left hand was down. Hmm. Because he thought, um, you know, they were, that they basically were saying, you know, if every time his outside hand is down, you know, he's stepping or I'm sorry, his inside hand is down. He's stepping with his right foot first. And it's because he's trying to cross the face of the, you know, something sure. along those lines. Right. And I, it, yeah. it just, it just, it just blew my mind that it, I would have never even thought to look at that, but someone, and that's why, you know, he's played O-line before and those guys have been around enough football where you start to key in on stuff like that. And to be honest with you, that's why I like listening. I feel like when I listen to a lot of NFL coaches talk, they start talking in a language that I would have never even thought of before. But so that was an experience that was like, it really made in my mind, I was like, man, I got to learn to watch film different. And, you know, sure enough, there was a tendency with, with the guy's hand and, you know, every, you know, they ran a field pressure and his hand was, a certain way more times than it wasn't. And it was just something that you could tell the offensive guards to look for. And it was a great coaching point. And, you know, it, it, it was one of those, I think, to be honest with you, that year, um, the year, it was his first year as an offensive line coach because I believe he played ball at Oklahoma State and then came to Mizzou. And him and Bruce Walker actually ran the OI room together. Hmm. And I thought that was, you know, I'd never heard, I had never heard of that before. To, to up to that point that there'd be two offensive line coaches and they did an awesome job with it talking about you know taking the centers and guards one day and the tackles went with another guy the next day and then they'd switch and they were both in the meeting room at the same time so that was also a good learning experience for me to see how two coaches collaborated to run a position like that and they had a great o-line they had a great o-line that year and you know they they you know all the scheme stuff is what you think you get out of being at a place like that but the most important things I learned uh, about being uh, at that level for that time at that point in my career was all the details and all the minor things and the way those two guys work together. That was a great, great experience. It's, it's so crucial, I think. If you can get two offensive line guys that actually work together, I'm, I'm completely and utterly blessed here at Broken Arrow. I get to work with a guy, Mark Broyles, we're the co-line coaches, and we're on the same page. And exactly like you said, we talk the same language, we talk – and we're not at football, and we're all exactly on the same page. And it just it gets our kids so many more reps. It gets them so you know so much better as football players. Uh, but then, conversely, I've also heard horror stories of two offensive line coaches not getting on the yep. same page, or one having a way bigger oh, yeah. ego than the other, or both of them having a huge ego. And and now you know it, it's a detriment to the to the group. So if you can sure. find two guys that can really work together, have the same goal could put egos aside man that group can just get so much better I think I'm with you and it's it's not it's 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 said but you know I think more coaches should actually buy into the fact that it is the most important position on the field you know there's always it's the only position where there's always five of them out there you know there's never more positions on the field than there are offensive linemen and really from a practice standpoint I think it makes the most difference because to be honest with you, after I was at Mizzou, I still wasn't ready to coach the O-line position. You know, I went out to, to San Diego, California, and coached wide receivers. And then my best friend who played offensive line at Louisiana Monroe, he played center, 
and he worked under a guy um, named Steve Farmer who who taught him a lot about um, certain certain what certain types of, you know, pass protection and they did things a certain way at Monroe. And so I actually got to work as an offensive line coach at the same time as my best friend. And he basically installed everything and I got to see how he coached it. And I got to have those game plan sessions where it's like, Hey, let's sit here for an hour and teach me how you used to this and teach me how you used to that. And, you know, it is, it's amazing. Like you're saying, if you can, it's, it's the, in practice, there's, it's so hard to watch all five guys at the same time. I mean, yes. you know, it, it's, it's, it's so hard and it's hard in a game to, to make adjustments, which is why I think the best offensive line coaches that I've been around, you know, during the game, they're more asking the other guys what they're seeing. Hey, what happened here? Hey, what happened there? You can get a pretty good idea, but for to be behind in practice and to see a wide zone scheme happening or a power scheme happening and see all five guys do something at the same time is almost impossible. So I, I think that was the best thing about it is like you're saying, get more reps and, and get get more eyes on guys out on the field and get more direct coaching while you're out on the practice field. But they definitely have to be of the same mind and of the same voice, and that can be difficult for sure. Coach, what were a couple things you took away from Coach Henson and, and Coach Walker? I mean, you, you said, you know, the, the way that they, they operated. You know, what, what were two things that you kind of – you look back and you're like, you know what, I still use those two things today. Uh, definitely the way they treated their players. They, you know, it, they were treated like Kings. I mean, and, and not, not from a babying standpoint, but they, they definitely, um, I got the feeling when I was in there with them that, you know, they made those kids feel like they were elite and they made those kids feel like they were the most important thing in that football program. And, um, the whole team, you know, Pinkle did a great job from a personnel standpoint, both coaching wise and with the players with, how, how players were treated and how they felt about being in the football program. And I always remember just, you know, and, you know, it's old line mentality to, to, to get in there and, you know, your mushrooms and you, you have each other's back and you kind of you shut that door and it, it just felt like they were all together and they all believed in both those coaches because of how the, the coaches made them feel. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy on, I, I, I like positive coaches and, you know, I, I've, I'd probably it suits my personality more to not be a, a break a guy down and cuss a guy out. And I've seen that work before, you know, that, that type of coaching has worked on me before, but it's definitely, you know, if you can make a player feel like he's the best player on the field, he's going to play better. And in, in a lot of circumstances with, with rare exception, I think, and those guys definitely built those players up and, and trained those players mentally. And I, I'd say the other thing was, I mean, God, I, I just I can't tell you how little I knew about technique <laughs> from an offensive line standpoint. I mean, like I said, I played wide receiver my whole career, and and you know I got into you know learning about more offensive line stuff because I just had no clue. I had no clue, and when I it was such a blessing in disguise. You know, as as big a deal as as David Yost was, and you know Chase Daniel had just left, and Blaine Gabbert was going, and if I had my choice, I would have been with Andy Hill in the receiver room or Dave Yost, and they're like, well, guess what? You're, you know, you don't have a choice. You're going to be an offensive line. It was the best thing that could have happened to me because of how minute and, and finite the details of how those guys coach the position. Um, and it made me look at not just offensive line play, but it made me look at every position like that. You know, it, it made me um, – I still today think about, you know, have gotten into, you know, metacognition, like, 
what is a player thinking about? Thinking about thought processes, thinking about technique, thinking about how many times can you repeat uh, uh, a buzzword and how many, how, how, how few of words can you break a coaching progression down into to get a kid to remember it in their mind? And it was because of the detail that I saw get coached when I was just there for those 13 months. And definitely at SIU as well, you know, on both sides of the ball, I was a defensive graduate assistant um, when I first went to um, SIU. And to be honest with you, I would if I would have had my choice, I would have been the offensive graduate assistant, right? But I got to see those same things from a, a coach who had played a, a coordinator who coordinated in four national championship games when he was at Montana. And, you know, that learning both sides of the ball and learning the details and, you know, more specifically to your question, when I was at Mizzou, learning how fine the details were that they coached the offensive line with, um, you know, I'd say those were the two most important things. And really, to be honest with you, the third thing that sits out in my mind was it was a spread offense. And it was a spread offense in a time, not maybe not when it was brand new, but definitely when the perception of a spread offense was still that yes. it was soft to be yes. a spread offense. There was nothing soft about that offense, and there was nothing soft about that offensive line. You know, they ran some some GT schemes, um, you know, and they're they're block, they're kicking out and blocking down, and they're mashing people, and they went up against some awesome players in the Big Twelve, some awesome front seven, some awesome D line and D linemen. And there were games in and out where they were really getting physical with people. And that changed my perception a little bit because I, I had kind of succumbed to the fact that, okay, if I'm an air raid guy, you know, people are going to think I'm a wuss and it kind of is just a softer way to play football. But, you know, as we see today, you can, you can take so many different elements from, from different spread style offenses and still, still make it a physical game. I mean, Texas last night, it was awesome watching Texas, you know, go, go in an empty set and then use, use an Ellinger to run empty quarterback power and just mashing the ball, you know, down, down, down George's throat at some place. So that was probably be the third thing, even though you asked for two, we, they were a physical group and it kind of changed the way I felt about it because they got after some people on some gap scheme stuff and they were a really good screen team and they got physical with some players in the open field, you know, where, where, you know, you don't want some offense lineman coming at you and blowing your knees up and pancaking in the open field, but, that happened a lot, and it was just a part of their offense and a part of their identity, and it was good for me to see that for sure and be exposed to that type of physicality in a spread offense. That's really cool to hear because it, it seems to, uh, you know, and, and maybe I'm a little off with Walls, but Walls, that's kind of how you gained, it seems like, so much uh, expertise into it was, you know, first coaching with, with David Alexander and then getting to go um, coach at Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so uh, it, it kind of seems to parallel that it's just from what you've, you've told me, I'm sure you knew a lot about O-line already, but you learn so much more when you get to work for guys like that. Denver. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I took a similar route, uh, coach, you know, I, I went in, was a GA later on as well, because I had holes in my game and number one was offensive line and, and a lot like yourself. I mean, once you sit in those meetings and you're able to to really watch film and ask questions and digest some of the things that you really didn't know about. And all of a sudden now you, you have that different lens to watch film from. It takes your learning to a whole new level. And I'm sure you probably saw that as well. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm going to be such a better coach just by sitting here and learning some of the things that these guys are teaching me and what to really look for. Some of the secrets of the football game. Oh yeah. It'll make you feel like you don't know shit is what it'll do, <laughs> which is always a good, no matter what point of your career you're in, if you can take a big mouthful of humility 
Yeah. Uh, maybe once every two years at least and just kind of step back and say, man, I had no idea, nowhere close to the idea that I should have about certain things. And that's what's great about the sport of football. It's such a, it's such a complicated game with so many variables that we had, nobody's figured it out yet, you know? And so if you can't step back every once in a while and say, man, I don't know what, I don't know enough about this or that, or I need to know more, I need to grow. And I'm with you, coach. I, I, for the offensive line was, the, it was the most important position for me to be exposed to, no doubt. I did, I just read an article about a guy was, was you know talking about learning and he says, you know, re- real learning and deep learning doesn't, doesn't take place until like somebody admits that they made a mistake or admitted that they're wrong or they say something stupid. So, I mean, like the instant yeah. we can get out of our own ways and, and not let our egos get the best of us, which seems to be, you know, in, in college football and, and men in general who play football, I would venture to say that that's probably about 95% of us, you know, we want to be viewed no doubt. the tough guys that know it all and, and, and can always go out and we can do anything and no one can tell me what to do. Well, as soon as we put that aside, man, it, it opens up so many doors for us. You got to repent before you're forgiven, right? That's, That's what right. I've heard. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, well, and I was watching spread teams. I was actually a part of a spread team uh, aerated when I was at Houston um, from 10 to 14. But, uh, you know, I was always had the kind of the conception, too, that, yeah, you know, even though I didn't want to admit it, it's kind of a soft thing to do and, and all that. And it wasn't until we actually got to watch um, – we were in college still, and we had some film of Oregon playing. And Oregon had gone to spread, but, man, were they physical. I mean, they had some big, yeah. bad dudes. I mean, they played with tight ends, so it wasn't air raid like we were at Houston, but they were spread, throw it around, but they had some big tight ends, big receivers, and their offensive line mashed people. And I was like, oh, okay, it can be done. Yeah, well, and, you know, you made a good point about just the – like the perception that the air the air raid took on for a long time was that it's like a empty two by two three by one only. But you know, you look back at when Mummy was doing it at Kentucky. You know, they had great tight ends. They right. had great tight ends, and they you know, and they they did. So it just it just goes to show you how you know the perception of something like being a spread offense or. To, to be honest with you guys, down here, you know, the wing tee and the flex bone. I mean, you know, those get a bad perception. Like, if you're running that system, something's wrong with you or that you don't have enough talented kids or you, that you don't have – there ain't nothing wrong with the flex bone offense, man. That, that, gets, that gets me up and, and, and eyes open as much as anything because you can learn the, – the, I love watching Navy and I love watching the Army-Navy game. And anytime I, you know, want a team running the flex bone or, or is on TV, I want to watch it because it's completely, it's completely, you know, one of those things that I don't know a lot about. So I'm interested in watching and I'm interested in looking. And, but the perception of it is completely different to the reality, which is it's really just a, a good, solid system with a lot of options and a lot of if-then scenarios and constraint plays. And people run it down other people's throat. And they do it down here in Texas in high school ball. And, you know, Paul Johnson's retiring. He's done it at the highest levels of college football for the last however many years. And it ain't because he didn't have enough talent. It's because he freaking bought into it. And, you know, it's a great system. And so, you know, anything you use, you just need to buy into it. You need to be – I mean, it's just like anybody always says, you know, you got to be physical. you got to tackle people. you got to take care of the football. And, 
you know, the rest of it is all kind of just window dressing, but you got to find something that you buy into. You guys buy into the power, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's why you start the podcast. Yeah. I should probably, I should probably tell you that I'm more of a, a run the zone guy. I, I probably should have led with that. Am I, do I get kicked off the podcast now? Yeah, we're, we're done now. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I, on a serious note, I've, 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 I've had probably the, just calling plays, which I haven't called plays for many years. But when I was calling plays at Ferris High School in Texas, my first year, we were basically 75% run, 25% pass, and we ran the, the Alex Gibbs zone system. And when I was trying to get into learning more about fullbacks and tight ends, I was out in California, to be honest with you. I was, there was about six months before I moved to Texas where um, I, I only worked for a stipend and coached football, and I ran my own business. And so I had a lot of time to invest in, in, in researching. And I was like, okay, well, if I want to get better at running the football and get better at um, having an idea how to coach this football, you know, what do I look up? And sure enough, at that time, all over these blogs and stuff like that, people were putting out the Alex Gibbs stuff. And I, when I got hooked in on the Alex Gibbs wide zone system, man, I was floored. I was floored. And I, you know, dissected in the first opportunity I got to put it in, I put it in. And then the very next year, we switched all gap scheme. We had a quarterback who was the best player on the team. And we did more power and, you know, the Auburn stuff that was going on at the time where we pinned and pulled and did power. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a preference, to be honest with you. But, you know, I've, I've done enough of both to know that they both have their place and they're both, you know, you can be successful with both, no doubt. Yeah, there's, there's no question. And, and, but like you said, it, it's got to be something that, you know, you buy into. That's the one thing that I always, you know, you, you hear a lot of guys be like, oh, I want to do the Alex Gibbs outside zone. And they listen to everything he says. They do it exactly except for the very first thing that he says, which is, hey, if you're going to do this, it's got to be your play. Can't be something. Yeah, that, don't do anything else. That's yep. right. That's right. It's the very first thing he says, and that's the number one thing that every coach wants to – not every, but the majority of coaches I hear, that's what they want to ignore. Uh, I think yeah. we can do it. We'll do everything else he says, but I think we can just dabble in it. I'm like, you just really – exactly right. <laughs> well, we got to have a draw, and, you know, we've got to have a – we've got to have an inside zone, and, we, you know, if we're going to have an inside zone – you know, we can counter off it. It's just pulling a guy. It's nothing yeah, but practice and a couple that's, that's of That's how it always ends up winding up, right? You said it. You said it. That That's, you know, at SIU, I think the thing, the biggest thing that I got from how we practiced at SIU, and we, we were we were a pro style, pro spread. You know, we did both. We had an uh, offensive coordinator and a head coach that, you know, Nick Hill, he played in um, in a lot of, um, more power-oriented, more pro-style offenses. And then when he got into calling plays, he went out and, and added a lot of RPO and spread elements to it. And we the way we practiced was we practiced running plays. And we practiced, we scrimmaged a lot. And we went against the defense a lot. We went off the script a lot. You know, our defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator were calling plays in situations for the vast majority of practice. And, you know, we... You know, on the one hand, especially with O-line guys where you, where you need a lot of indie time, you know, that's kind of the, the trade-off is, you know, how much you're going to lose. You're going to lose some indie time because you're going against each other so much. But I honestly think it paid off so many dividends for us situationally and within games and just seeing how different offenses and different elements of our offenses were installed that we ran so many plays and that we scrimmaged each other so much. and. I really bought into that 
as I saw us go, you know, I was there for four years and, and uh, every year, you know, that was definitely a trademark of how we practice is we're going to go out there. We're going to run plays. We're going to do situations. We're going to have red zone stuff. And it, 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 it makes it better for the players too, to be honest with you, because they like playing the game. You know, we, if we were coaches, we'd all have 50 minutes of Indy every day <laughs> and we'd right. be coaching we'd be coaching pods and we'd be coaching footwork <laughs> drills and we'd be coaching, we'd throw bean bags at them for quarterback drills. And we'd have a lot of shoots that the wide receivers run through cones, but you lose track of the fact that the best way to learn to play the game is to play the freaking game. Play um, but to, to your point, you can't do that if you're installing a whole bunch of crap. <laughs> no you doubt. just don't have time. You don't have time to teach the difference between the base, the reach, the down, the double team versus even front with the three technique front side. And then all of a sudden you're, you're having to do it with the odd front. And then you also have to do it with inside zone and power and that draw scheme that you wanted to put in. And, oh, yeah, we got to make time for screens too. So you have to go over that in Indy and you can't do it, you know. So I think that definitely had a huge impact on me as far as the volume of offense that I would prefer to have installed because I saw how good we were when we kept it simple and when we uh, repped a lot of plays as a group, as a team. Um, that was one thing that we were really good at SIU. That was the biggest thing I learned from Coach Walls, I think, was just how much, how much more important it is to get reps than it is everything to, every single little thing to be perfect. Like you said, I'd love to have 50 minutes, especially starting off, I'd love to have 50 minutes of Indy and go through every single little step that they make. Uh, but then at the end, they're not getting as good as if we didn't just did some uh, a little bit of that indie before five or ten minutes, and then get thirty minutes of some kind of competitive work, whether it's one on one pass pro or team blitz or full team or inside. You're just getting so much more from that. It was, it was one of the huge things that I did uh, learn from Coach Walls that year that he was at Broken Arrow. Just, yeah, definitely, and and from in high school especially yeah. because you don't get as much time to look at the film with high school kids. Exactly. <clears throat> That's where I was too. I mean, you, you, you spend that time earlier on in the year in the summer or whatever, getting your kids that basic, you know, surface level knowledge, fundamentals. And then after that, you know, now you want them to understand it on that, that deeper level and you want to be able to do it faster. Well, the only way to do that is to, you know, take it out of a drill and let's put it into actual practice. So after that, that initial learning, you know, now if you had kids that, you know, couldn't figure it out, obviously you slow it down and you reteach and reteach and you show them and you reteach, but they still have to be able to do it full speed quickly, you know, in a game when it's, when it's, when it's going to happen and then have to adjust. There's only one way to possibly get that done coach. And you said it, you got to play football and you got to be able to, to, to react on the run and learn how to, you know, handle your body and, and move in the certain ways that you need to do. And I think, you know, too many times we get caught up in the, the exact preciseness of it. You know, like I see it all the time with quarterbacks too, you know, oh, man, you know, your elbow was right here and you released it right there and you could have done this. And it's like, well, the only way for those kids to kind of, you know, figure out and find those angles and find that touch is to, to really do it a lot. And if you're not doing it a lot and you're stopping and talking to them all the time, I think you're kind of missing the boat. Definitely. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a, I, I'm a, I'm a football nerd, as a lot of us are. And I, I think there's a fine line. There, there's nothing wrong with us wanting to analyze and get, get every small detail out of a technique or a scheme that, that is possible to get out of it, right? But like you're saying, the player doesn't need to know all that crap. You know, right. you, there's, things, there's things that you, you can do. It's like, you know, the, the best example I've ever heard was, you know, 
if you've ever heard of, I grew up around, you know, my, my, my papa was, uh, 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 he, he basically was the president of a golf course. And so I was just, it was just rolling Hills country club in Arlington, Texas. It wasn't any big deal or anything like that. But I remember listening to the golf pro at rolling Hills country club, talk to somebody about their golf swing. And it was in a way that was just so they weren't actually telling them anything about their swing but they just told them to do certain things with their body that would correct five or six other things. And, you know, people talk about that with kickers, but it's really just a, you know, there are ways for you to get a quarterback or an offensive lineman or a wide receiver or or any, any player on the field to execute, you know, five things by really just getting them to do one thing right. And that's why it's so important to know as much as possible about your position, I think, is, is you want to, you want to coach as little as possible and get as much out of that coaching from a, how the player responds to it as possible. And, you know, the, the possibilities and combinations of how you do that are endless, which is why we all are love football and love coaching football. But you definitely don't need to be sitting there in the quarterback film room circling the, the, the 90 degree armpit and the 90 degree elbow and stuff like that. But you know, I, I'm afraid that that catches up with all of us at certain times. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the, to me, that's the whole big challenge puzzle piece during the week is how much am I, am I going to throw at a kid? How much am I going to keep away, right? If he's got five big things he's got to fix, but it doesn't help him to say, oh, yeah, think about your inside knee and then also your elbows and then your hands on this play and then also your head was wrong, right? So you do all yeah. four of those at diminishing returns, probably not going to get better at any of it. So it's, okay, what of those four is going to help the other four the most? And then so you try to, you know, key in on that. And then the coach part of you try to, when you watch film of it, not say anything about the other bad things, you know, just say, okay, did you do this thing well or not? Right. That's all we're focusing on this week or, or whatever that is. And then also it's like, if a kid takes a perfect step nine times, you know, 22 times out of 23, is it, is it detrimental to that 23rd time when he did take one bad step out of 23? Is it detrimental to then say, oh, hey, you make sure you're taking this kind of a step because now he actually has to think about it where the other 22 times have been perfect. So it's all that kind of yeah. that chess game of how much do you bring up, how much do you not, how much is it selling this, and, and how much is detrimental. You know, I, I had a really good coach um, at Houston, and, and his whole thing was, you know, you get what you emphasize, but you emphasize too many things, you get nothing. So uh, that's always right. the big chess pieces, you know, the, the chess match in my head is how much you throw at them, how much you keep back and, and what's the most important thing for them to get better at right now. Right. And, you know, I, I had a, I had a buddy tell me one time where he was actually, he was actually, um, he's, he's very successful. One of the smartest people I know, but he said that when you say something, you can only have a hundred percent of someone's attention. So do you want that 100% divided up into 100 words or do you want that 100% divided up into 10 words? Hmm. And, you know, from a a coaching progression standpoint, that's why it's on – the onus is on us as coaches to to have some – an organized coaching progression and to be prepared and to have the words you're going to use already thought out ahead of time. And, you know, just like making a – I mean, making a practice – plan you know having having hey what are we doing each of the i mean there, there's probably not many head coaches out there certainly not any head coaches that i worked for that didn't have a practice plan and didn't want to know what i was doing in my end period you know what i'm saying and and not want that to reflect you know in the grand scheme what we're doing as an offense and what's best for the team and and not just going out there and winging it you know but 
you have to think ahead of time, like, what am I going to tell these kids? What, what are the words that I'm going to use to describe this technique and that technique? And then you want to repeat it as much as possible, you know, and you want it to, you want to hear it come out of their mouth. I, I heard, I know I got it from Urban Meyer. I can't remember where, but one of the most important things about having a, a coach and a kid was they got to spit it back at you. You know, they have to be able to use your words to describe what you're trying to teach them to do. And that's when you really, that's when you really, and I've heard Bill Belichick say before, you know, you can have a good team when they do what you tell them to. But when you start having a great team, when they can tell you what they're doing, <laughs> you know, that when everybody can tell you how the defense is supposed to happen and how the defense is supposed to be executed, now you got a chance to, to be, you know, elite. But you, you can't do it with a thousand words. You know, these kids aren't, these kids aren't able to, process all this crap you know what i mean it, it just when you gotta you gotta scale it down for them i guess coach you said that a few times now and i you know you said you know you guys you guys work on your your teaching progressions and the, and the words that you are using is that something you kind of revisit every off season or is that something you know you, you maybe have a, a drill list when you say you're, you're coaching the offensive line and, and here's how i'm going to coach this and here's how i'm going to coach that is that, is that kind of a file you have stored away and then you're revisiting it? 100%. Okay. 100%. 100%. And, and really, you know, I have, and like I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a football nerd. So I enjoy writing and rewriting and looking at documents and redoing it. And so I, I've tried to – I've thought about coaching and thought about a coaching progression for every position on the football field. Yep. And to be honest with you, that's – you know, I can tell you right now, if I had to go somewhere and coach D-line, or if I had to go somewhere and coach linebackers, I, I wouldn't get hired to do it because I ain't good enough to do it, you know? So it, it shows you if you not just go to go back and revisit what you know and what you know you like and add to it, but also it, it shows you your weaknesses, you know? You go back and, I mean, there's some stuff that I can tell you right now, I can go back to when I was at, you know, Santiago High School in 2010 running a wide receiver drill, and I'm like, what the crap was that drill for? <laughs> you know, like, what was I thinking? But that's an important, I mean, those those moments are as important as me finding the next great uh, wide receiver drill that Dabo Sweeney has, you know? Not that, you know, they're both on different ends of the spectrum where you're like, you know, what the hell was I thinking as opposed to Dabo Sweeney's wide receiver drills that are, you know, probably pretty damn good. But it was an important lesson to learn in all those situations because it's like, okay, well, why didn't it? Why didn't, why wasn't that a good drill? Why didn't it belong in what we're doing? What drill would I do differently? Um, and it's the same thing with, with verbiage or terminology. Like, you know, you, you hear, you're around good coaches and you hear coaches call something a, a certain way. And, well, I'm going to start calling it that. That's, a, that's really smart. That's a great, that's a great idea and a great buzzword. And, you know, we collect all these buzzwords and, you know, that changes constantly in the off season. And definitely, I definitely, I think the best thing, you know, even as college coaches, you know, we go, we go to different uh, universities to clinic, just like, you know, I've been to Glacier Clinics. I've been to, you know, Wisconsin for an off season to see how they run their defense when Dave Aranda was there. And, you know, that type of stuff is awesome and we all should do it. But there's also, and to be honest with you, that's what I love about this podcast is there's also some merit to just having an in-staff clinic. Like, you know, they're, they're at SIU, there are coaches who have been in the game for 20 some odd years. I could probably just, you know, spend a day with him up on the board learning about what he knows. I don't have to go to freaking, you know, Oregon to learn about how the running backs are coached when I got someone who, who has a, a bunch of knowledge over the last 20 years 
just within my staff. And it's the same way with you guys. Like you can, you're always learning whenever you have a conversation that everybody's bought in to getting better while having, you're going to get better. And so that, that's also what happens in the off season. I don't just try to look for new information, but I try to go back to the people who I know, you know, the, the defensive court, the, the head coach at Paris North Lamar high school in, in East Texas right now, I'm going to go spend time with him. Um, because he was my head coach at Ferris and I, and I used to self scout myself the same way that he would break down opponents, him and his defensive coordinator. And I thought it was a great self scout system. And he ran a three, three, five stat defense, which not a lot of people run or, 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 or great at. And so I want to go out there. I coached for him for two years, but I want to go out there and I want him to reinstall his defense in front of me and talk to me about how he breaks down opponents. You know, that stuff's important too, I think. Not just trying to find new information, but like you're saying, going back through your notes, going back through your drills, going back and calling the guy who you worked for 10 years ago to see if he's doing the same stuff or doing something new. And that's what makes the sport so fun. And that's why football is 365 days a year, you know. I love it, man. It's the, my favorite part of it, you know, is, is going back and, and talking to, you know, guys like Harper and, and guys like Coach Maddox just because, you know, that they're on the cutting edge too. And, and once you find people that kind of sharpen your sword, you know, like those guys, you know, that to me, they're like gold because you, you can't find a, enough of those guys. So you, you're speaking my language coach. I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, the league you guys were in at Southern Illinois. And I know, you know, we, we talk about these guys all the time, but, but North Dakota state um, talk a little bit about, you know, playing up there at their place and, uh, and having to, to compete against them and maybe what some of the things you've seen, because to me, they're, you know, other than Alabama out there, which, you know, we, we probably all know why they're so dang good, but uh, talk a little bit about North Dakota state because they look a lot different than Alabama. Well, they run the power. If you guys didn't know, we, we did know sure that. You did. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, and they do it. And I tell you what, it's not, their their style of doing it. What's amazing is it's not duplicated in a lot of places. Like no. you think a a place like that, and and they don't they don't mash your face in because they got better players than you all the time. Now there's always going to be you win a bunch of national championships. I've recruited against North Dakota State. I've seen them. The first uh, the middle two years I was at SIU, we did not play them because of our scheduling. But the first year and the last year, this last year we went there and we played them. And they hung, they hung one on us again. They're a great team. But it's really all about the, the fine details. And, the, you know, the, you can see the, the whole dance and bear element of how they run and how they pull and how they block down. And the best thing I can tell you about them, which tells you how good of coaches they are, is, you know, my first year there, we ran an odd front defense. We had a great linebacker, Chase Allen, who's playing with the Dolphins now. He's an undrafted free agent and found his way to hang. You know, he, he hung on and earned a spot, and he started some games for him. But he was a great player. And we had them figured out in the first half, guys. I'm telling you, it was a close game, and it was a close game to the end. But we stopped the power. We stopped North Dakota State from running the power. And I'm a GA, and I'm calling out the, the personnels, and I'm, I'm feeling good going down in the, in the elevator because we made it an emphasis that week, you know, this is how we're going to stop the power and this is how we're going to stop North Dakota state. This is how we're going to beat them. Um, and sure enough, in the second half, we come out and they run power a couple more times and we stop it. We're still stopping it. And then all of a sudden they start running a French side G scheme and they just gash us for about 200 and 
15 yards of offense in the second half or something crazy like that. And it's just, it's one of those things where it was such a good lesson because it was like, man, you know, there is no answer. There is no answer when a team can execute and there's a good plan and the techniques are sound and it's just ingrained into them. And, and, and you know, even when you stop what they're good at, you can't stop what they're good at and what they're second best at. Um, and that's the thing that impacted me the most about competing against those guys. And they're great recruiters. And, you know, it's a, it's a really beautiful place to, to be involved, you know, as far as their football program and their facilities. And it's kind of a strange place because of how cold it is. But I'll tell you, I have, I have a lot of respect for them, not just as competing against them, but obviously, you know, there's a lot of good players in FCS football. Um, more, more and more players are choosing to go to places like North Dakota State and finding success at the next level. We have we have great players at SIU. I'll tell you right now, we got some kids on the roster at SIU that are going to be playing on Sunday. And we have some that, that have done it in the past, and it's because, you know, players are choosing to go play instead of going and sitting and recruiting for places like uh, North Dakota State and Southern Illinois has gotten better because social media is more of an element that is used and. You know, that's why you see all these programs using social media so much. Because I'll tell you, the, the stigma on North Dakota State and getting kids up there is it's freaking cold, man. I mean, when we were playing up there, it was it was four degrees. But you got once once they get kids up there, the kids find out that they have all, all these weird tunnels going across campus and they play in an indoor arena. And, you know, it, it kind of turns into a pretty cool place. And, you know, but that that's one thing where it's not just – it's not just because they're the best at what they do that they succeed. Um, it's the it's because they're the best at what they do, and they got good people up there and good personnel. They recruit good players, and I know that because we recruited against them, and and they got good kids on the team, um, and they play freaking hard. And you know, I'm I'm excited about watching. I keep up with. I watched all the playoff games. My alma mater, Southeast Missouri State, was in the FCS playoffs this year, which is a huge deal. Um, yeah. Coach Tuke is there now, and you know, they, they do an awesome job. Um, I loved watching that. Unfortunately, we didn't. We, we did, you know, we had, a, we had a bunch of injuries in the secondary. Our quarterback got hurt in the middle of the year, and we ended up having, you know, kind of a poor year, to be honest with you, at SIU. But there's, there's some great, interesting, um, fun places in the Missouri Valley Football Conference that, that are growing yearly. You know, it's becoming a bigger deal to be in the Missouri Valley Conference. And, you know, being in that conference every year, it's like a rock fight. I mean, you know, even teams like, you know, Coach Steckel at Missouri State and Indiana State, places that, you know, typically have been kind of um, get, gotten browbeaten by a lot of teams. You know, those, those guys competing, it's hard to get wins in that conference from the top to the bottom. So it's it was a, a lot of fun. It was a oh, tough league, tough league. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't know it looking at North Dakota State's uh, record every year, but it, they definitely, you know, now South Dakota State is catching up with them. Uh, North Dakota is actually entering the conference, I think, this next yep. year, the year after that. And it, it was fun competing in that league every year, I can tell you that. It's just really good football. And like you said, that people just don't know enough about. It's just not out there enough. Um, I'm really excited because I finally broke down. I waited too long, but got ESPN Plus, and all those games are on ESPN Plus. So I'm excited for next year to, to get to watch more of them. I get a lot of film on some of those teams, but I'd actually watch those games live because they are – it is such good football. And and uh, we get to watch the North Dakota State game uh, in the semifinals uh, around Christmas, and it was just awesome. And, and like you said, one of the cool parts about these teams to me that, that do uh, 
you know, they've got one, not one play because they do so many different things, but they major in one play is they've got so many answers off that play after five or six years of doing it. You know, they know that here's the main things people are going to try. They start doing this to us. Here's how we counter that. Here's how we counter, you know, all these different things, all these different techniques that defense can do because they've done it for so long that now they know some of the answers for the answers people are going to throw at them. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And the, really the, the shining example of that for me was, and like I said, I've been in, I was, I was, I was a blog internet guy for a long time, but I read an article on Ken Niamatololo at Navy and it was an article about constraint plays, you know, and I had no idea what a constraint play was, but it was, it was just, if then, if, you know, if they stop the dive, then we run this. If they stop this, then we're pitching it on the option. If they cover the option, then we're running wing counter back the other way if they stop that then we're bringing them in motion and throwing the rocket sweep and it was it was that's the best way to be as a play caller for sure is you know you have a game plan and you have a certain set of plays that you think are going to work and if they work you run them until they don't and then you do whatever the constraint play is that's why the rpo is so great you know if if you if you have a if you have a defense that's stopping the run throw the perimeter screen if you have a defense that you're catching them out there with three over two and four over three then you better be able to run the ball in the box on the rpo so uh they you know that was definitely a a, a great lesson for me because i'm telling you i'm coming down that elevator at halftime and i'm like man we got them we figured it out <laughs> we got it fixed <laughs> oh here comes g again that's right i saw uh memphis i think this year I was watching them play uh, Houston, and Memphis went to a lot of, of G. Uh, they're they're uh, like in the the entire second half. That's all they ran. I don't think Houston had an answer for it. Um, something that honestly, I think we should probably get into a little bit more over at that Broken Arrow as a, as a good changeup, just because it is so good off of other things. But you know, another cool thing that you'll see that we see North Dakota State, not just to bring to stay on them, but just as teams in general, it's cool to watch them because they are such a powerful team that goes uh, – but like you mentioned, they have so many different personnels, and they're also not afraid to go like a 20 with two tailbacks and run um, pin-pull, pin-pull with a lead blocker and read the backside three. And, and uh, again, a lot of that has to do with being able to recruit some athletic good quarterbacks, but being able to read a three technique or a backside end and, and not let these guys come off and – and crash every time and and then the other thing that I think so so unbelievable is is they throw to their back so well they have a lot of really good play actions and, and their back you know catches the ball so well out of the backfield and that just kills certain teams that that do want to try to go man or, or whatever they want to do to try to stop that run well they all they always have they always have three run since I've been there and since I've been breaking them down three running backs that when they come out on the field you're equally scared of all of them <laughs> now, now the starter obviously has more yards sure. in his career than the other guys, but you know they usually have somebody that they can put out in the slot and bring in motion, like you're saying. They run, they ran some boundary flood pass concepts with with some motion um, the year that I broke them down, and you know that that type of stuff is just there's no way to cover it, and you know you wouldn't you wouldn't attach that type of scheme to a team that majors in the power, like we talked about earlier, the perception is of them that they're just going to come out in 12 personnel and pound you into the ground. And they certainly get away with that. And there's sometimes when people, you know, or fall prey to that and they, they never see anything else, but you know, if you are stopping <laughs> yeah. the run on them, they're going to run, they're going to run a play action pass. They got a great bootleg game. They can get into like you're saying 20 personnel. 
Uh, Easton Sticks, the quarterback there right now, is a freaking hell of a player. Yes. So they they got a lot of good QB runs that they use. Yeah, they they've opened up the playbook so much. I think you know, Coach Messingham's done a heck of a job there to where, you know, you it's a handful. You know, you, yeah, if you if you can't stop the body shots and and stop you know the downhill power, it's going to be a long day. But you know, now all of a sudden you you completely sell out on that. They got a a bunch of other ways that they can they can hurt you. And and then like you've said, you know, they used to not be able to recruit some of the the higher end skill kids. You know, they had some of the they still have some of the kids you know that work really hard, good football players. You know, don't get me wrong, but now they've they've actually been able to bring in some skill kids who, man, they get in the open, they can they can really scare you on the jet sweep, or they can really scare you, you know, running the wheel routes. So that gives it a whole new dynamic. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Coach, getting back into uh, Texas high school football, uh, I'm sure that that's an exciting uh, thing for you. Uh, you know, what, what we got to see uh, as the rest of the country is what I mean by we is, is what an unbelievable, uh, you know, state finals that they have down in Texas and, and how big of a deal it is in the community. And I, and I think I read that somewhere, but, you know, everyone talks about how good Texas high school football is, and it is. It's really good football. Uh, you know, and, and they've got so many players that inevitably they're going to have a lot of good players, um, and it is really good football. But to me, the coolest part is is just how behind football the community all is. You know, to pack out a stadium, you know, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, and and just just how much the community is around football and and cares about their football players and and uh, you know cares about their community so much is is the cool thing for me to get to see, and it would be a cool thing to be a part of, I'm sure. Oh, no doubt. And, and to be honest with you, I get a little not tired of, but I think it rubs people the wrong way when people get to talking about how much better high school football is in Texas than other places in the country. And I grew up in Texas, and I've coached in Texas. I've coached in California. I've coached in Illinois. There's great high school football everywhere, you know, and there's great players everywhere. Um, I think the thing, I think there's just more of it, honestly, in Texas. Sure. I think it's more of like what you're talking about. It's more of a it's more of a lifestyle, you know, and for, for me, I grew up in a family who loved football and I grew up in a community who loved football and I grew up and played for a coach at a football program where there was a lot of legacy and history. So I'd be kind of like a self-licking ice cream comb if I just sat here and talked about, well, how great it is. Well, of course, you know, there's, there's great programs. There's a great history of it. And there's, you know, there's a bunch of dense areas down here in the state of Texas, Dallas and Houston and Austin where there's no doubt you're going to find great players and you're going to have great programs and you're going to have a lot of good football and then good football leads to having good, you know, playoff football. And I, I watch every, I come home every year and it doesn't, you know, like I said, I went to school nine hours away. I lived out in California every year when I came home for Christmas, I'm watching every single Texas high school football state championship game. And I'm watching, you know, Jerry world and I'm watching, you know, the Highland Park, who's there every year. And then you get, a, you get a year like this year where, you know, Cuero, Texas has somebody in the Texas, Malakoff, Texas, you know. And, and it's just, it's, I'm obsessed with it, to be honest with you. I'm obsessed with the sport. And if, if, you're, if you're a football junkie, you can get lost in Texas high school football. And, you know, it, it's, it's a special place to be. And there's a lot of special places to, to play down here for sure, and especially in the coach. And there's some good – you know, like I said, making a career down here as a, as a coach in Texas, there's a lot of great school districts to work for and a bunch of great programs and a bunch of pretty football stadiums and pretty weight rooms too, there's no doubt. But the, the thing that makes it the most special, I'm kind of blabbering on about it, but it's always the people. 
and it's always the community, you know, and it, it's always, you know, being on the bus and heading to the playoff game and there's, you know, 200 parents and, and, and fellow students like beating on the bus while, while you drive out of the parking lot. And that's what, that's what makes any high school football special in any community. And, you know, obviously Texas is not an exception to that rule. That's definitely on my bucket list. I want to. I want to go down the the weekend of the state championships down there sometime. I mean, that and the Army Navy game are, are kind of the two football meccas for me. I've already been to Notre Dame, but those those are the next two on my list. So I I, I can't get more excited than to to watch the old Texas high school state championships. Well, you know you know who to call. I guarantee I'll pay for your ticket. I'll try to I'll try to get you as close to the action as I can. Maybe <laughs> hopefully it'll be a game that I'm coaching in. I say, hopefully you'd be on the sideline, then you get me a pass down there, and I'll watch it down there. <laughs> you said it, baby. You said it. Well, Coach, kind of wrapping up on the hour, uh, what I like to ask everybody is, is uh, when you're watching another team's offensive line, uh, what's some things they'd be doing that would uh, make you think highly of their offensive line, Coach? Um, you know, really, we all talk about finishing. You know, obviously seeing people put people in the dirt, fires, fires a coach up. Um, but I honestly, how a, how a team behaves in uh, pass pro scenarios, you know, see, watching how the uncovered center operates, is he trying to go in and rib cage people? Um, you know, are they, are they working as hard pass protection wise or in the screen game as they do in the run game? You know, uh, I, I think that is an element that jumps out at me on screen. Or I guess especially even when I'm recruiting a player and I'm looking at an offensive lineman, you know, how do they use their hands? Are they physical with their hands? Are they finishing people with their hands? In pass pro, are you just kind of taking the play off when you're uncovered? Or are you going hunting, you know? Are you chasing the play down once the ball leaves the quarterback's hands? You know, when we send you out on a screen, is there just zero chance of you not blocking somebody? You know, because you, you, you can be, if, you, if you're a good enough and, and you have the right mentality, I think, as an offensive line. The, the best plays are made when you're, you're not necessarily executing your assignment. You know, those guys are, are the ones who, when they give extra effort, you know, it starts to turn into touchdowns. When, when they can go and make a block downfield or when they can put the extra effort into getting a guy pushed outside or, or blocking a guy across another guy on, on power, you know, the extra effort at that position means more than any position on the football field, offense or defense. So, um, and that's why I think, you know, offensive linemen and, and offensive line coaches, they all develop the, you know, they all want to have that tough persona and that, and that tough mentality. And, you know, they, they lead with toughness as a group. And that's a, that's a earmark of football period. And it's defined by the offensive line position. And it's probably the, the best defined um, from a scheme standpoint and, and, and running the power, baby, you know, blocking people down, kicking people out, <laughs> owning the A-gap, creating an alley. Um, and that all, that all comes with just that extra effort, man, you know, the willingness to fight and the willingness to finish people off. And I love seeing that crap on film. <laughs> Coach, you're getting me fired up, man. Uh, we're going to have Coach uh, Steinberg on the, the podcast here on the, on the 15th too, so I'll make sure I say what's up to him. But it's been a blast having you on, man, and, and look forward to, uh, to talking to you in the future. Hopefully he won't yammer on as much as I do. Hopefully he does, man. We, we had a blast. We, <laughs> yeah. uh, we love talking football. 
Yeah, the, the toughest. I'm, I'm, I'm very are, tangential. I apologize. <laughs> hey, hey, the toughest ones are the ones where, like, you know, Coach Harper and I feel like we're squeezing the orange trying to get it all out of there. The, guy, <laughs> the guys that talk, man, we got to ask five or six questions. It makes it, it makes it fun and easy. And this week, sit back and learn a little bit. So we appreciate it, Coach. Well, y'all do y'all do a great job. Y'all got a lifetime fan in me. And like I said, if you ever come close to this the city of Dallas, Texas, and you're not hitting me up, it hurt my feelings. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.